those are really phenomenal times. I cried like a baby after my first marathon. And I was so proud of the fact that I worked so hard and I accomplished it. And I think that's that all the chemicals that are produced with that are things that we as ultra runners want to keep having. Why wouldn't we? Right. So we go for the next distance or we go for the next challenge or we find something else that we can find that same state of almost ecstasy. Right. Because Mm -hmm. that's sort of what's happening um, when we are having those experiences. Hello and welcome back to the Ultramarathon Mindset Podcast, where we talk about what it takes to go the distance, whether you're running an ultramarathon or just living your life. I'm Eric Dieter, your host. I am an ultramarathon runner. And when we trail runners get together, we never know where the conversation might lead. So if you're ready, let's get started. My guest this episode is Gwen Zwicky. She is a returning guest. I talked to her back in episode 71. Gwen is an ultramarathon runner. She is a cyclist and an instructor at Louisiana State University. She is also an author, a published author. When we spoke last, she was just releasing her book called Ultramarathon Running, uh, called Ultra Running Mysticism, Mind, Body, Spirit, and the Sacredness of Overcoming Suffering. She likes philosophy, and we talk a little bit about the philosophy uh, from her last book in this episode, but uh, she's also working on a new book, doing research on the science behind suffering and uh, talking about the brainwave patterns and how we as ultramarathon runners uh, might be able to improve our performance through science of our mind or the science of our brain. Uh, that's kind of the what we talk about in this episode. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Gwen Zwicky. So how have you been? I mean, it's, I see, I've seen you on Facebook kind of off and on. I, I've been really bad at Facebook, but, but uh, yeah, how have you been doing? Um, first, I'm very bad at Facebook too, um, but I've been doing great. I, I, as you know, I'm working on some new research. I, I just have this insatiable curiosity. And especially as it relates to our brains, our bodies, our spirits, and ultra running is is obviously where I'm putting those all together. And it's very interesting. And I'm so glad you reached out to me about this and that you are actually helping me do some of this research. Yes. Be very, very uh gracious and thank you for for volunteering to be a part of all of this. Um but as you can, as you know, I am trying to put together a lot of neuroscience and a lot of um, ultra running ideas, a continuation from my first book that um, another rabbit hole, but I believe is very applicable to our beloved sport. Yes. Well, and the, your first book, I mean, for, for somebody who may just drop in and this is the first podcast they've heard and they have not, not heard it. What was your, tell you your first book was about ultra running, ultra running, ultra running and mysticism. Yes. Ultra running mysticism. That was my term um, in philosophy. I, I, I went to back, I, I teach at LSU and while I was teaching full time, I decided to go back and work on a master's in philosophy while I was teaching. And um, as I was in a philosophy class, determining what I wanted to do for my thesis, my research, I came up with the term ultra running mysticism. I just made it up and they were so impressed. 
And I thought, you know, people usually aren't impressed when I make stuff up. <laughs> um, so I ran with it. And it was just this, the connection of mind, body, spirit. And the more I got into the idea of that philosophically, I am so intrigued by science as well, which philosophy and science really do work in tandem that way, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I became so enthralled with the science and I was putting too much science into a philosophy thesis. So I just wrote the book instead and put in runner stories <laughs> and that kind of thing. Um, and now I'm just really kind of expanding on that. Because while we are talking about all of these chemicals that we produce in our brains as we're running in our bodies and all of that, it, it turns out that there's been so much research since I published that book oh, about a year and a half ago that I, I felt like it was really important that I continue that, that research. And I'm really glad I have. I mean, the things I'm finding are remarkable. Yeah, that's that's cool. And we talked about the your your book. I think we we spoke again before that book was published, uh, with with, with the last podcast. And uh, uh, I didn't look up the episode number, but I it's been uh, it's been about a year and a half, I think, since since we spoke. And if I remember right, our conversation then, and if this this just came to me as you were talking. Um, in the mystical, well, some of the mystical traditions that I'm familiar with, uh, the Catholic Church, the monastic movement, a lot of their uh, physical practices were, um, uh, I, I guess, would go along with what we call ultra, <laughs> what we put ourselves through in yes. ultra marathon running. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they were, in fact, some of them were very severe. I mean, sleep deprivation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, fasting, of course. Uh, in fact, some some of them were even actually, you know, causing physical pain. I mean, there was a flagell flagellation that and they, they went to some extremes. I mean, so, some of them, but uh, in in most of them, but it, there was at least some amount of physical. Uh, there's a physical aspect to their spiritual practice, and so I think that was kind of you you took that. As, as well, if our, in our conversation, anyway, we we spoke about that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a there's a lot of, and part of the title is mind, body, spirit, and the sacredness of overcoming suffering. That was the first book, and there is so much not only philosophically that we gain from overcoming suffering, but now in terms of our biochemistry, there is all kinds of science behind that also. And we find that when we overcome suffering of any kind, um, we find that we are surprised ourselves at the limits we are able to surpass that we never knew possible before. And that in and of itself releases tremendous amount of dopamine in our brains. So not only are we, you know, psychologically in this place where we are very proud of ourselves and that there's all kinds of chemicals that go along with that also. Uh, but there's also that dopamine of just look what I just did. I mean, who among your listeners and you, I mean, do you remember your first marathon? That's a dumb question. Of course you do. How could you not? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. How, yeah. Do you remember your first ultra marathon? Again, another dumb question. Mm -hmm. How could you not? Those are really phenomenal times. I cried like a baby after my first marathon. And I was so proud of the fact that I worked so hard and I accomplished it. And I think that's that all the chemicals that are produced with that are things that we as ultra runners want to keep having. I mean, yeah. Why wouldn't we? Right. So we go for the next distance or we go for the next challenge or we find something else that we can find that same state of almost ecstasy. Right. Because mm -hmm. that's sort of what's happening um, when we are having those experiences. 
So I'm looking into that more now with science. Um, and the philosophy is still right there. Don't get me wrong. I'm always going to be a philosopher. But the science part of it is just blowing my mind. And I, I, I'm down the rabbit hole, Eric. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Down that rabbit hole. Well, and I kind of, I kind of came to this as, uh, as well. I mean, my, my, uh, uh, you know, passion, I mean, was, you know, kind of looking at what is the role of the, what the Bible calls the soul, uh, psychology calls the mind. It's the same thing. It's your thoughts, you know, your thoughts, your emotions, and your, your will, your, 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 that driving force within you. Um, and how does that relate with the body? And, uh, and so that, uh, I kind of came to it from this, from the spiritual point, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's very much, um, uh, and, and what through the switch for me, I mean, you kind of what you're talking about is the science, the neurochemical part of our body that, uh, kind of gets, well, I was never, I was never taught that. I mean, you know, with what, what the soul is and how it interacts with the body is, it is a neurochemical link. Oh, there absolutely is. And in addition to that, if there's such a huge link in quantum physics, and as we're talking, I'm, I was just kind of looking through my notes to try to find the specific data I wanted to share with you. Um, so I'm going to paraphrase, and I might not be 1000% accurate, but here we go. We're good. So in our matter is is very, uh, we know that matter is, is mostly empty space, right? Yes. So that, but it's not empty. In fact, um, even Stephen Hawking, uh, Einstein, and I'm looking, I'm thinking of all of the, the brilliant minds that have called this various definitions, but ultimately what it comes down to, I believe it was Stephen Hawking who said that that space is filled with the mind of God. And his ideas and many, many other philosophers and quantum physicists and um even neuro, neuroscientists are saying, you know, that space is highly suggestible. Um, philosophers would say the universe is realizing itself through us. Religious leaders would say, to some religious leaders would say, God is realizing him or herself through us. Mm -hmm. And it is because of the intelligence of ourselves, of the matter that we are made out of, um, blowing my mind, for instance, we are products, our, our carbon that we are, we are made of would not be possible because it, uh, without the explosion of dying stars. We are comprised of matter from dying stars, not just one, not just 10, not just 100, but millions. And so when you look at the astrophysics of this and you look at the, at the quantum physics and you look at the neuroscience, um, it is a real phenomenal thing to put all of this knowledge and all of this science together and trying to understand our experiences. And so being ultra runners and being very passionate about our sports, I think for some of us, that's really something that helps us understand our experience a little bit more, especially when we get outside of our normal and start to feel things way beyond ourselves. Yes. Yes. And, and that, that, that state there's, there's that a link between the physical and the, and the, and the emotional and, um, the thing that you were talking about matter, um, there's there's a whole the whole mystery of dark matter that uh, that have heard of it that that they they say that there's there's matter that is not uh, perceived perceived by us yet, or that haven't haven't found and so um, so yeah that that could be uh, you know, there's uh, the whole realm of consciousness 
is relate as related to the you know, physical physical world um, is something that I've I've been hearing more about. Uh, the so uh, is that is that kind of what you're talking about? That there's a consciousness that's that's kind of related to the material world. Well, here's here's how I would expound on that. The idea that all of this quote unquote empty space. Um, while we know it's there and we know that there is a consciousness to it, we aren't, I have not found anything as of yet that is able to identify that as anything more than ununderstandable, unknowable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And because this energy is present in literally everything, in everything around us, in all matter, every particle has consciousness that means the rocks that means the the soil you walk on that means all every single thing around you has consciousness well now if that's the case and it is at least um, as to, to the best of our understanding then there's got to be experiences that we have uh, through experiencing other matter and other consciousness. I love studying, and this was part of my first book, is how nature impacts us, how mm -hmm. plants are literally changed by our presence. And I'm also delving into the world of emotions now because there are all kinds of studies. And my favorite one, which I really did have um, prepared for you here, is that MIT research, and there's some from Stanford also, that are talking about the idea they have actually have a way to measure our feelings within a four foot distance with a remarkable uh, bit of accuracy. Wow. In other words, so we are literally projecting consciousness from our heart center, which by the way, um, we have 40,000 specialized cells in our human heart that are completely conscious and independent of our brain. So when we are in a process of having an experience, we can try to um, be very logical about it, right? Which is, mm -hmm. but that's only a small part of us. Our emotions are a part of it too. Now, emotions can cause a lot of destruction, as we know, with unhealed trauma, with, with any kinds of things that we hold on to. But positive emotions can also create a tremendous amount of healing. And so uh, the ability that they are finding through through research in, in actual machines that they have constructed, they can actually tell how you're feeling up to four feet away uh, so far. And so here's the thing. We've always been able to do that. If you are sensitive to other people, right, you are go automatically can tell things about them before they even speak. You come mm -hmm. into their, their space and right away you know something about them. You don't have to be logical about that. You know intuitively and now there's some science to that, right? Something's great about this person. Something's not so great. This person's going through a hard time. This person is so full of joy. Um, we know that. And part of us prior to our, our when we were back in our hunter-gatherer states, we had to know this for survival, not just people, but our, our surroundings. We had to be aware of that in order to survive. So we've kind of lost track of that. And now science is reminding us um, on some level, how important it is for us to be conscious of our environment, people and, and, and plants and animals and situations, weather patterns, all of those things around us that are, were at one time necessary for our survival, but are still very important to our well-being. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's interesting you talk about that. I've, I've read other research that they say that the electric or the, the field of uh, energy that the heart creates is, is extends to six feet. 
Oh, okay. Um, so, uh, well, and so I mean, their, their machine. <laughs> maybe their machine can be a little more, <laughs> a little bit. You more never know. Yeah, I you mean, never I, know. I really do think that there is so much to be said for our ability to just get quiet, and that's part of what this next book is about. If you can let go. And researchers have found this also when they are trying to measure different brainwave states, which is what a lot of what I'm focusing on. When you get to the place where you let go, that is when you are able to obtain an alpha state brainwave state, which is lower than what we normally operate at. Our day-to-day -day is beta. We are thinking of one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. People who um, are diagnosed with ADHD, they're at way high beta, one, two, three, four, all over the place, right? When you slow those brainwaves down, that is when you have, it's, you would think it's more focused, but it's actually not. You're expanding as you're slowing down. You are a, a, a follower of, of Joe Dispenza, and mm -hmm. I I am also, and I like one of his, one thing he talks about, and that is the idea of when you're trying to meditate, for instance, picture a space to your sides. I never thought about that before. Mm -hmm. Picture this infinite space on both of your sides, and that really does work. Um, when you meditate, you're bringing yourself from beta to alpha, and really intense meditators can even get to theta, which is sort of like a trans-like state. When you're mm -hmm. in that trans-like uh, uh, situation where you are likely uh, entering the theta phase, which is when everything, uh, you as the self, is just a part of a much larger whole. You're no longer ego-centered. You're no longer self-centered. You're just a part of a, this huge orchestra, this symphony of life, rather than, you know, trying to control it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, the... Uh... The, you talk about the racing, the racing thoughts. It was just, uh, there's like a, it's a cascade that so most of us, it, it's just, it's very, very, uh, it feels like almost out of control. And that, you know, that I can think back to uh, um, Napoleon Hill is that, that he said the greatest gift we've been given by God is, is to be able to to uh, choose one thought over another. And uh, it was just, I, I discovered, you know, I read that, you know, it wasn't until Joe Dispenza I discovered it. I really didn't have a whole lot of control. About that. <laughs> you know, it's like, it felt, it felt like my thoughts were out of control. And, but, uh, you know, it was a lot of, I think what you know, you've been talking about is a, a way to learn to manage those, the, you know, so that it's not this flood, this cascade, this, uh, you know, the, um, just one thing after another. Um, and so, uh, to slow it down or to, you know, to, to, to be able to, uh, to watch the flow of those thoughts without being overwhelmed. And that's, that's the hard part. Cause we have like, I, I believe it's something like 70,000 thoughts a day. Mm -hmm. you know, okay. So, um, I don't know about you. I've been meditating for decades and every now and then I still get into the pattern of negative thinking. Mm -hmm. And if something has happened, if somebody has said something hurtful to me or done something intentionally or not, it doesn't matter because really intentions, I know that's part of the law, but it's not a part of my heart, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so when I am feeling overwhelmed or, or disappointed or saddened by something, I have a tendency to go back to that place because I've, I haven't healed it yet. Logically, I want to understand why I'm feeling that way. And then what, for me personally, once I figure out why, what it is that I'm holding on to about this thing, I'm able to let it go. I can't just say, nope, I'm happy. Nope, I'm happy. Nope, I'm happy because it doesn't work that way. 
right? Um, we have to find ways to navigate. And that's the thing. People, one thing that I find really beautiful about this experience is, is almost all of the researchers when it comes to meditation and, and, and neuroscience are saying the same things in this regard. A lot of people, and I know personally a lot of people who will try to meditate and calm their minds and get into alpha, and they have these intrusive thoughts mm -hmm. and they get frustrated. Let go. Mm -hmm. Those thoughts are always, I've been meditating for decades and I still have that happen sometimes. And all that tells me is that I'm practicing and sometimes we'll be tested, yeah. right? And, and that's okay. You just, that's a thought. I recognize it as a thought and now I'm going to let it go. And if I have to do that 500 times, I'm going to do it 500 times. That's good practice for my brain. Much like what I am trying to do with you and other people who have volunteered to help me with, with some of the research I'm doing. No matter how many times you find yourself in a place, in a state of change, change is just hard, right? Mm -hmm. So when you are trying to get into that, that low level beta, I'm sorry, alpha or into theta, it takes a lot of letting go of everything. And that's a process. Most of us can't just do it like that, right? Yeah. yeah. So it, it's, it's practicing and training your brain to get to a place where it's easier to do that. So we can experience what I believe is that flow state of ultra running. Mm -hmm. That flow state of ultra running, it is my belief, which I am working on uh, proving, that it's not only us being in a theta type brainwave state and we're exhausted, we're depleted, it's dark out, we might be a little bit dehydrated, we might, there are all kinds of things going on that are helping us get to this place. But also the DMT that we have produced, not only in our brains and our pineal gland, but also in our lungs. Um, so where our heartbeats, for instance, there's, there's a great research about how um, older cultures have used drumming, which actually replicates the same speed of our brain waves in theta. It helps hypnotize us and get wow. us in that place. Well, if you think about that, um, I, I actually have the exact information here. Um, and I don't know what I did with it. But the, the <laughs> I always thought I was so prepared, Eric. I'm sorry. <laughs> but the point is, is that the drumming state ha occurs at that same state of theta. And it's easier for us to get in tune with that and have that kind of zone out trance-like state. We do feel that when we are ultra running. Or we may even hear our hearts beating. I can recall a time when I was in, I, I was in the mountains somewhere. I was doing something and I remember hearing my heart breathe and it was in my ears and it was boom, boom. It wasn't like I was exhausting myself, you know, mm -hmm. at that really high level, but it was enough that I was feeling a trance-like state. So I think that when we get into that zone of ultra running, that is partially a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. uh, a little bit of both are get, getting into e even a higher level of theta where we're in that kind of trance and the world is so surreal. And I've heard three ultra runners now say, I am a part of the trail. And wow. Uh -huh. I mean, I love that <laughs> because it's not the trail and me. It's this is a part of me. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that is, that to me says a lot about our, our, our brainwave state and likely the DMT that we are producing again, not only in our lungs after this duration of heavy breathing during an ultra, but also those two combined, I believe at this point are creating a really unique experience that 
you're only going to find in ultra running. That's interesting. Now I want to, I want to get to DMT in a minute, but I I've had a, something that you said about negative emotions and, uh, the, one, one, um, men in typically, I mean, I, the men that I am familiar with tend not to do emotions well. And you know, that, that my, and my response to negative emotions was always block them, mm -hmm. you know, and like kind of what you said of, of, I don't want to feel bad. I want to feel happy. And so I suppressed it rather than you know, I, I, anything negative, you know, it just, I didn't want to feel that way. And, and, and I ended up not being able to feel joy either uh, because I was suppressing, you can't just suppress one emotion. No, and, you can't. <laughs> and so, so, uh, uh, a coach told me, he says, your superpower is to be willing to walk through any emotion, uh, and, you know, being able to be willing to accept that. And so that, that became a practice for me of, of, when I experience negative emotions, I, I still have that first, the, you know, my initial is, oh, you know, block it, you know, you know shut it away, like, it. but of, of actually then sitting, sitting, sitting with that and allowing the experience of that emotion to flow through me to say, this is, you know, and, 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 and the thing that I found was weird is because, you know, I was afraid of the emotion, which is why I blocked it. But when I was willing to experience it, the power of it, like dissipated, just like, just like smoke just kind of drifted away. So that, you know, that emotional component of, and then, you know, we talk about this as, as ultra marathon runners, because you experience those kinds of emotions when you're out, when you're out in an, in an ultra marathon and being willing to, well, and, and the same thing with pain. I've talked to ultra marathon runners that instead of trying to block out the pain, they, they sit with it and allow it to allow it to come and realize it's going to come and pass in the same way with emotions. And so, um, so yeah, that, that emotional component is, is really, is part of the brainwave experience as well. I mean, you can't kind of divorce the two. The, the highest vibration you've heard about that high vibe, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. The highest vibration emotion that we can experience. Most people think it's love and it's not, it's authenticity. Wow. I know, right? We always think of it as love because we're striving for positive. We're striving for positive because we have been trained that that is where we should be to be happy. Love and gratitude. You know, it's kind exactly. of the two. Yeah. Now, not that they're not important. Of course they are, but oh, authenticity yeah. trumps both of those. Wow. So in your moment of vulnerability and being authentic, you are actually creating the highest possible vibration. And that is not to say that there's no emotional regulation going on. I think we all have to learn how to, how to regulate our emotions so we're not creating problems for ourselves, mm -hmm. right? Because that can be very, very destructive in many different ways. Um, but nonetheless, when we are in a healthier mindset and how we've learned to deal with our emotions, actually feeling that raw sense of whatever it is when you're on the trail is actually your highest vibration and it is empowering. You are literally going to feel more energy when you are being authentic than any other time. That is, that's powerful. I, that <laughs> I appreciate me. appreciate it. because, you know, we, we say we strive for authenticity, but, uh, typically, you know, my ability to deceive myself and is <laughs> you know a lot of times you know trying to figure out what's what I, what's real i mean because i tell myself stories that aren't necessarily true well and you know what eric I, I this is the real sad thing about the state of our world and that is that it's not always safe to be authentic 
Um, we have people who are not well emotionally or psychologically. We have people who are careless and don't pay attention to how their words and their actions impact others. And so when you are being completely open and vulnerable and authentic, um, you're going to get hurt. Yeah. And yeah. so you find yourself having to understand where it's safe and where it's not. And unfortunately for many people, they don't have a safe spot. But what is safe? Do you know what's safe? Ultra running. Yeah. You're out in the woods. <laughs> you're mm -hmm. alone. You're having the same experiences as other people, maybe not at the same time. But we understand each other, don't we? Yes. And at those really, really low points, which we all have, no one is going to say anything hurtful to you because we know we've been there. We know what it's like. It's a very unique situation. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons that we keep doing what we do. Yes. Yes. So uh, for people who may not understand what DMT is, can you give a little synopsis about uh, how does that work in the body and what's... Uh, What's that about? I cannot pronounce. What <laughs> yes, I know. I've, yeah, <laughs> it's I, it's it's a chemical. <laughs> it's, I, it's, I it's learned it incorrectly, and I have this. One of my biggest flaws is when I learn something incorrectly, how to say something. What I, I don't seem to be able to recover, and I'm not sure why that is. Um, <laughs> DMT is a chemical that is naturally produced in plants, in animals, and in us which is can be a hallucinogenic. Um, it is released primarily in our pineal glands in our brain. And I found this interesting when I first started researching this. All of our main energy centers are completely aligned with chakras, with our chakras, which have been around and being you know honored by Eastern cultures for I don't even know how many thousands of years. This has been something that, again, we always thought was so woo, but we have more nerve endings and more energy uh, uh, gathering in those places that mm -hmm. have been traditionally thought of at, in, in the chakras, which they are, we call them the chakras. They are the chakras, right? So the idea that the third eye, our ability to be in touch with ourselves and our intuition and all of that, we, we look at that primarily as being our, our pineal gland. And it's not exactly in the middle of our forehead. It's kind of in the back, but it's in that same uh, alignment, if you will. Mm -hmm. We look at ancient cultures, for instance, and the pineal gland has these kind of, uh, uh, it's not calcite, it's something else, crystals. And so it kind of resembles a pine cone. And what's interesting, if you look at even ancient cultures, the pine cones are everywhere. It's a big deal, right? Mm -hmm. Because they believed and they knew um, somehow, uh, unbeknownst to me, that this was something that was sacred. So DMT is released in our brains and we find, we often find this as a, our brain is full. It, it's, it's basically a pharmacy, anything we need, any chemical, any, anything we tell ourselves, our brain is responding. If we tell ourselves I'm depressed, guess what? Your brain is responding. If we tell ourselves, hey, I'm happy, this is exciting, your brain is responding. It's not judging what's good or bad. There's no judgment. It's just responding to your thoughts. So with DMT, there are some survival things involved in with DMT. Like it will be released in fight or flight to help us survive in times of extreme stress. It may not be to the level where we're actually hallucinating, but it is creating an environment for us to be more capable of dealing with that. Um, emotionally speaking, you've probably heard of ayahuasca retreats, things like mm -hmm. that in, in the, the Amazon, where there are for men, uh, I don't even know how long, but for, for 
hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of years, a combination has been used in order to have an experience of, of kind of a spiritual experience. And that will actually bring to light some of the ugliness that you have been avoiding um, or show you some of the more positive things. And the thing about ayahuasca, for instance, is that it's in a very high concentration. So you're actually overloading your system is that those experiences will stay with you for months, if not longer. And those experiences are, everyone says, are more real than our, our lives uh, uh, that we, we live in this 3D reality. So that's ayahuasca. In our bodies, it has been found in our pineal glands, in our lungs, and in our liver. Now, the, the interesting thing is that when we, as you know, through Joe Dispenza, there are different breathing techniques where you can actually move the spinal fluid from the base of your spine all the way up to your pineal gland to have that experience. Um, there are other activities that might uh, release that as well. Um, we don't, I don't know the research behind that. I do know the breathing, for instance. And I also do know that when we are releasing DMT in our bodies, it is very likely that that process of driving spinal fluid up into our pineal gland, the activity of running, I believe, replicates those deep breathing techniques that can actually move that spinal fluid. Mm -hmm. So there's that. I don't, there has not been enough research in the lungs yet. Um, I am very interested to see how this develops as I'm getting ready to, to, as I'm putting this book together, but it is my belief that anytime, well, it's, this is not a belief. This is a fact. Anytime you are trying to, whatever you're going through at the moment, your brain and your body are a hundred percent on board to help you do whatever it is you need to do. Mm -hmm. Right. Ultra running. Our organs will start to shut down so that we can finish what we are doing because we are in a state of something and our body is doing our best to help us accomplish that. So whenever we find ourselves in a situation where our, we're under duress in some way, our brains and our bodies are responding and we're getting flooded with all kinds of chemicals. And I, I do believe that ultra runners are being flooded with DMT at different stages of our experience. Well, and, and runners, you know, they, you know, the report, uh, you know, the emotional, emotional ups and downs. I mean, <coughs> excuse me. Um, there'd be runners who are, you know, ready to quit and they decide to go on. And, uh, the next, you know, next five miles, you know, they're, they're on a high, like, Oh, I can run forever. And, uh, there, there've been you know, several people I've talked to have been in, in long distance, right. You know, so, some sort of ultra marathon and, and gotten into that state, uh, that you know, I can run forever. And, and, and went with it. And then, you know, 20 miles later, like, well, no, <laughs> I can't really run forever. So, so yeah, that, that, uh, that kind of uh, those emotional ups and downs that could be DMT. That's a, a factor in that. Well, we, we do know that the st our attitudes, um, will produce different chemicals in our brains. Also, um, self-efficacy, the thought, you know what, I can do this. As soon as you decide, your brain is already flooding you with endogenous opioids, right? I mean, I'm feeling better. Okay, no matter what it is, I've got this, right? So our thought processes, we can't always control. And that is an illusion. There is no such thing. But when we are get to that place, we're like, okay, I'm going to do it. Our brains and our bodies are like little soldiers. We're going to, all right, we've got this. Let's do it. 
you know, and that is the really phenomenal thing because when you say, no, I can't do it, the opposite is happening. Mm -hmm. Okay. My brain, your brain is saying, no, you can't, it's shutting you down and it's keeping you from achieving versus I've got, I'm going to do it. And, and sometimes just getting angry. I've noticed that for myself, I will, my favorite mantra is just suck it up buttercup. And once I get to that place, no, I am going to do this game on. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I have to go through those lulls in order to get to that place and then get, get strong again. Um, I don't know that it would be possible to have DMT actively flooding our systems through a whole race. I don't know. I don't know enough about it, but I do know, I do believe that we do have those times when it is. Well, if, if DMT and flow are, are kind of synonymous, I, you know, my experience, well, limited as it is with the times that I've felt flow is that it has been, well, not fleeting, but it's, it's been short lived. Mm-hmm. And so you know, those times they kind of kick in and you talk about being one with the trail as there's a, a, on a training run. And you know, some of the practices that I do, you know, as I, as I train and it just, it just kind of came and there's this, this feeling of uh, timelessness and uh, just uh, that, that, I, I and but and I was like, oh wow, this is this is cool. And then within you know, a minute or two, it was it it faded away. And that's one of the things I'm trying to do with you and other participants is I am trying to see that if we can train our brain to get to a place of theta, it, that so it becomes easier for those neural pathways and all of that to happen. That it, it, I'm trying to see if it's possible that we are able to sustain those flow states a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. I don't have a real good, solid research uh, ability to do that because who is going to stop in the middle of a flow state and say, sure, take my blood and see how much DMT is there? That's just not something that's being done. And I am by no means in any way qualified to, to even begin to do that kind of research. Um, but it is my belief that the combination of things that are happening to us in those states are creating an experience that is so unique. And I do know that the more we train our brains to be able to get into that theta state, the easier it is for us to access the, the, the DMT, the good chemicals that because we're already in a place of, you know what, I'm not trying to control. I'm not trying to anything anymore. It's just happening. It's happening. And I am becoming a part of the process rather than I'm trying to control the process. So what is the role of expectation in this? I mean, you, you, you talk about the, you know, your brain will do what you, what you kind of assign it, your brain and body, um, you know, is, you know, setting the fact that yes, this is possible. And, and I'm kind of go, you, know, you go out, go out and run and you, you've practiced, practiced, you know, whatever thoughts, but of you know, going in the room and saying, yes, this, this, this is something that I, that I'll be able to experience. Is that, is that a factor? I don't know. And that's a good question. I can tell you this though, when you try to insert control, you're going to be disappointed. When you try to uh, have those expectations um, something always goes wrong. How well are you at adapting to change? Because if you are, that's great. If you're going to get angry and the rest of the race is going to suck because of that, well, you know, then that you're not getting to that state. So I'm not really studying that place. What I'm studying is your ability to get into a flow. Some people are super competitive. Good for them. I was when I was younger too. 
I, I loved it. That ego satisfaction uh, was along with everything else was phenomenal. I'm not young anymore <laughs> and I'm not going to be winning races and I'm not going to be placing and I'm not, I'm probably going to be close to last on, on the trail. And that's okay with me because now my priorities have shifted. Now my priorities are enjoying the experience. And that's really where my research is. There's nothing wrong with saying I'm going to do this and having those expectations. If you believe you can meet them. I believe that many people are very successful with that. Mm -hmm. But I also think that there is this, this reality of our bodies and what we are able to do. If I tried to run as fast as I did 10 years ago, I would hurt myself. There mm -hmm. would be an injury and I, that would prevent me from running. I already know that. I, I've, I've hit that middle age mark and I know that that is a very real consideration. Um, however, I am really performing exceptionally well for my age, um, if I do say so myself. And I, my exceptionally well is my assessment, not anybody else's, mm -hmm. because I'm feeling good and I'm doing something that makes my body feel good, my mind feel good, and my spirit feel good. And that is my definition of success. Somebody else's definition of success might be the time on the clock. Good for you. I am not studying that because that is no longer a part of what I am, uh, what defines my success. Um, what is, so I think that there is a very different kind of reaction when you are determined and you are operating in the ego place and you are focused on that. I'm all for it. It works. Look at Dave Goggins. Look at Dean Carnanza. Oh, yeah. I mean, it works. I know it works, but that's outside of something that, that I really have any real knowledge about. I guess um, my version, my, my interpretive expectation is different than, than what you heard. <laughs> so for um, you know, my, it, it's my, I have expectations for things that I can't control. And so it's not an expectation that I'm going to do it. It's an expectation that it will happen. And so it's, 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 um, for, for example, you know, I, you know, part of my, part of my practice, uh, is also physical. I had an injury in my hundred miler, um, and it took a long time to heal. And, but I, I intentionally sat down and just had the expectation that my body would do what it needs to do. And that, that, that injury would heal. Uh, and it was, it was three months, but it was, of, it was just a very, it was in my foot. And so, so that's, that's kind of what I, I, as a, you know, I try to use the word expectation because the Christian word faith has so many, so many conversations, connotations for people that it, it's, but you know, the, the Bible talks about faith as the, the, what we hope, what hope, the the um, the uh, certain expectation of what we hope for, and and so that's kind of what I talk about with expectations. Okay. So, so when I go into a run, it's not that I'm going to make it happen, but it's just I expect that it is. I expect it as something that I could encounter. It is it's an expectation, a looking forward to an event that is that is really outside of my control. But but it's a, a looking forward to a serendipity. I guess would be okay. Right. Um, so I guess that, that my, and I'm kind of a wordsmith sometimes because that's yeah. what I do for a living. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that as an intention. Okay. Expectation has all kinds of attachments of control to it. My intention with when I have an injury or I'm not well is 
okay, this is going to feel better. I've decided it's going mm -hmm. to feel better. My intention is that this is going to resolve itself more quickly. I have to pay attention to it. I have to remind my body and my brain to work together to create a healing situation. And my intention is to do this so that this, this will result in um, some sort of a, of a, of a recovery, for okay. instance. Okay. Um, so I, 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 I hear what you're saying. I think that when you have, there's something different between my mind and, re, and well, part of my title will likely be surrendering to the flow. Okay. Because when you surrender, you allow. When you try to control, you can't. And your reactions to your inability to control could actually prevent better things from happening. So, you know, and I think everybody has a different view on that. And I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying that I know based on the stuff that everything that I've read so far, researchers are fine. I can't attain this brainwave state. I can't, I can't, I can't until they say, fine, I give up. And do you know what happens when they have, when they have those, those, those electrodes on their, stuck to their, their heads and they're measuring brainwaves? As soon as they give up, they go into alpha. And that's where they were trying <laughs> mm -hmm. to get all this time. They tried everything else. They tried all the techniques and they, they were not able to obtain, attain alpha. And so what, what basically happens is you have to surrender. You have to give up that control if you're going to get to that particular brainwave and get out of that chatter and that control and those thousand thoughts a second kind of thing. Um, so it depends on what your goal is, right? And, and there's, there's no right or wrong answer. It's just, what's your goal? What are you hoping for? And how are you best going to reach that goal? Yeah. So for, uh, for people who are hearing this, who are, who are ultra, ultra runners or are looking for, you know, look pursuing some sort of, uh, some sort of goal, uh, even not related to running, uh, how, how does this, how does this impact performance as far as, uh, you know, what, what are kind of some, some of the, you know, as, as you've, you're doing your research, I mean, somebody before they read your book, I mean, what are some of the things that they could do and, and how does the alpha and the theta help, uh, help with training and, and accomplishing the goals that we want to do is, you know, to run distances. Well, this is, this is sounds very simple, but it's not as easy as you'd think. And that is that, um, we have mostly the same thoughts every day. Oh yeah. We okay. use our, we have a specific area in our brain called the default mode network, which is where we generally stay. And that is why we keep having the same thought patterns and the same ideas and thoughts. So in order to create new experiences, we have to create new neural pathways. It only takes you deciding that you're going to think differently and practicing. The best time to do this is when you are just about to fall asleep. You're in a state where you could fall asleep any second, but you're not quite there yet. And just when you wake up in the morning, not quite awake, but getting there. It's hard to remember, but if at those times you can start training your brain, your subconscious is much more receptive than it is any other time during the day. So that's a good time. Those both are good times. The other things are really good are, are to do are you, you, I know you use different breathing techniques. I mm. meditate. I can go into a trance and almost very easily. And I've been practicing this because my next race coming up, I want to see if it's really working mm -hmm. and, and to see if, if this has made a difference. 
um, there, there are sounds you can listen to. There are different frequencies, um, binaural beats. They found that 40 and 44, uh, 40 in one ear and 44 in the other has been researched the most. And that helps you focus more and get rid of all that junk. Um, you can listen to that. I, I really do like, for instance, the meditation, because for me, that is the most relaxing. So it, it really depends on the person. And if you think about it, I would bet all of your listeners, including you and me and everyone else have had this experience. A song comes on the radio. It brings you back to a, a time and you're having this amazing emotion attached to the song because you're remembering something. And before you know it, three minutes has passed. You're like, oh, wait, what? Kind of like when you're driving. Mm -hmm. You're so hypnotized, right? How did I get here? I just went 30 miles and I didn't get in an accident. What just happened there? We are doing this, right? We're already doing it. So how do we do it more? And how do we do it safely, <laughs> right? right? More. And part of that is to decide what works for you. I would love to listen to binaural beats, but I have this inner ear thing and I will literally get nauseous trying to do that. So I personally cannot. Breathing techniques don't work for me either. And I don't know why, but I, I just don't seem to be able to do that. But if I'm meditating, I, game on. As long as I am not as distracted, I even get distracted. I have a puppy. He's distracting me all the time, but he's helping me train my brain to be better at it. Mm -hmm. Right? I never get frustrated. Oh, you did in the beginning, but I get now it's just a part of the process. Okay. He'll calm down. And I just keep going back and keep going back because I'm training my brain and like anything else you want to do well, it takes practice. Yeah. And sometimes we're kind of lazy about that, <laughs> right? But the more you practice, the more likely you are to have those experiences. So what kind of, what technique or what uh, do you have a, a variety of techniques do you use for in meditation? Is there, how did you get started? Well, if I, Many, 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 many years ago, um, when I was first dealing with some trauma from my childhood, I was taught self-hypnosis. And I find that even now, decades later, that is probably the thing that will get me into a meditative state the fastest. And I love, I have found actually, I, I go on TikTok every now and then just to look, because I know a lot of neuroscientists are now on TikTok and I follow a lot of the researchers and I found somebody who is brilliant at it. I love the sound of his voice. The cadence is perfect for meditation. Um, there are all kinds of mini meditations, for instance, that can help people. I know that they, I, I experiment all the time, but for me, it's listening to certain music. It's being in a completely physically relaxed state which if I'm having a hard time, I do the self-hypnosis thing first. Um, and I surrender. That's what you have to do. You have to surrender. I like to listen to different things depending on the depth in which I want to surrender. And um, there are all sorts of things you can do that are proven by science to get you into that state more quickly. And that there are all kinds of, you can do a search on YouTube. There's extreme brainwave uh, healing. I, I think I sent to you and a bunch of other people that has been, has all of the frequencies and sounds that are most researched in helping mm -hmm. you get into a different brainwave state. So it just, it just depends on where you are, but I think the practice makes perfect. The more you yes. practice in different circumstances, the easier it is going to be for you. Yes. And for me, I had, you know, I had tried to meditate in the past and, uh, it was Joe Dispenza's book that, that got me, uh, that actually gave me a technique that worked. Um, well, part of it is also, I decided I was going to do it. <laughs> and so that was that, uh, that I, I didn't, didn't feel like it was working. Didn't feel like, you know, but it said, I'm going to keep doing this until I'm not bad at it anymore. 
And because uh, I felt like I was doing it, you know, doing it wrong, you know, that, that whole performance anxiety. But to be, yeah, the, the uh, body awareness, you know, the body scan uh, that, that he talked about in his book, uh, how, to break the habit of, how to Break the Habit of Being Yourself. And uh, that, that was the thing that, uh, that worked for me. And I still use, I mean, that, that kind of focusing on relaxing your body. And, and you, you absolutely. And that's part of the self-hypnosis also. And I think that you just said something really imperative right there. You decided. You can't just go into something and say, yeah, I'll give it a shot and see what happens because now you're already setting yourself up to do it halfway, right? Yes. You have to decide. And once you've decided, you're more likely to do it. And it doesn't have to be the way somebody else told you it had to be. If you can just be quiet for 10 minutes, I'm also studying, I'm Andrew Huberman, I think is his name. And he talks about, hey, if you can just get quiet and deeply relaxed for 10 minutes, you're already halfway there. Mm -hmm. You're already almost there, right? Go sit in your recliner and just be quiet and close your eyes and let everything go and just listen to the sounds of the room. You're already halfway there. Um, I, some people think I have to completely clear my mind. No, you don't. You really don't. Yeah. You can listen to the sounds of music. You can listen to the sounds of water or whatever. Rain for me. Oh, forget about it. If it's raining outside, <laughs> I'm there right? I don't care what's going on. If I'm able to, I'm going to stop and meditate right there because that always helps me. But I think it's it's different for everybody. And we have some unrealistic expectations of what that looks like. And anytime you can relax yourself to a point where you could either almost go to sleep to the point where your body is so relaxed that you almost don't even feel it, you're, you're already there. Yeah. yeah. I read a book uh, called Breath uh, by James Nestor uh, on breathing. And his his one of the things that he talked about was that uh it was so some of the breathing techniques they said they they give you the advantages of meditation for people who can't meditate and so that the breath practice and i started i started incorporating some of some of the breath practices so the one that he talked about was uh resonant breathing uh some they call it circle breathing it's a five and a half second inhale five and a half second exhale and just a just a, and it's, there's no pause. It's just just and it's that 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 cadence. Um, the the physical advantage is that it, it increases what they call your heart rate variability, um, and so that it was a uh, uh, and and uh, so I do that for, for ten for ten minutes, and that you talk about just being quiet of of just focusing on the timing of that breath. Uh, I've noticed, I've noticed a, uh, that that has helped my meditation practice to, uh, to do that. I, I was just looking for something cause you're saying five and I'm thinking, you know what, that is the cadence of theta. Okay. Okay. <laughs> That's so, interesting. Five and a half seven. <laughs> this, I think that there's a lot cause our heart beats when we're in theta, our brain waves when we're in theta, I believe, and I'm looking for the specific example as you're talking, but, um, the, the, I, I believe that that particular cadence is where we are when we are able most likely to achieve that state. Um, so again, it's, it's based on what you do. I find I meditate best after I've done yoga. Okay. I find that I meditate the best after I've already gone out for a run. I've come in, I've showered, I've gotten rid of that energy. And even though I'm energized in a different way, um, I've calmed myself down because I've gotten rid of some of that. And now I'm in a better place to do it. The worst time for me to try to meditate is when I just get home from work, when I'm stressed out, when I'm whatever, that I, that's when I need it. 
but I've got to go do something physical first. Because mm -hmm. once I've done that, lifted weights, I've, whatever it is, then I've released all that. My body's like, okay, I can relax now. And now I'm in a better place to do that. And I think, again, that's why I love ultra running. Because don't we always go through all the crap in our minds first and we try to work out our problems and we try to work out all the things in, in our beta states of our normal lives, our normal brains, uh, thoughts. And then we get to the place where it's a little bit slower and then a little bit slower and then our brains just slow down a little bit. And that's when we have those experiences. So if you think about meditating sort of like an ultra, it, mm -hmm. it might work for you. The bottom line, though, is that if your body can feel heavy. Like I will picture when I do self-hypnosis, my body is just a heavy glass. That's what I was taught many years ago. It's a heavy, heavy glass. And even if I tried to move, I couldn't. And I will notice that. And then you will see breathing in light and breathing out whatever, darkness or whatever might hurt or send more light to the places that hurt or that need more healing or whatever. Uh, and I learned that if I start off that way, it doesn't take me long at all. As long as my body is completely relaxed, um, my mind can go there too. Yeah, yeah, that's that's that's. I think the key is is learning to relax your body. And and I, I've just I've I'm amazed it's even now of how much tension that I that I hold in my body. I think we all do. Um, I know that as soon as my neck and my shoulders start getting sore, I'm like, oh, it's time. I, I have to go and take care of this. We don't even do it consciously, right? I right. mean, we, I think we yeah. a lot of us do that. Yeah. And I've noticed that uh, when I run, I, that you know, I, if I'm running tight, if I'm running with tension, that I I don't run as well. It says I've, I've, that's, that's a practice that I've tried to do in my training runs is to run relaxed. And so that's a, <laughs> another you know, I mean, it's, it's funny uh, when I'm really upset about something, which almost never happens. But when I'm really upset about something, if I go out and run as fast and hard as I can, then I feel better. Then I can mm -hmm. go meditate. Yeah. But in a regular day, no, I, I want to be relaxed too. In fact, it's it's easier for me to run relaxed and it's more enjoyable for me to run relaxed. Um, and and But there's something to be said about being really angry and running. I mean, I, I PR'd a marathon by 30 minutes just because I was mad the whole time. Um, and I, I had a, I had a, uh, one of my students, well, I've had several football players in my class at LSU. And, and one, of this, one of them was kind of a famous guy. I don't know. I don't follow football, but I know he was a big deal. Um, but he, I said, what's your secret? And he said, um, I just need to get really pissed off before a game. And I said, wow. Okay. So when I thought about that and then I went and I did, that was right before I ran that marathon that I mm -hmm. PR'd, I, I wasn't, I didn't mean to be angry. Okay. Something just happened right before the race. And I was like, are you kidding me? And I, I don't know why I held on to that, but I did. And when I finished the marathon and I looked at the clock, I went, no way. Just, just no way. I've never <laughs> run that fast in my life. So, you know, if that's what your goal is, maybe that'll work for you. Um, but that's, that's again, that's not what I am, what I'm studying. Um, but I think that there's value if you can find a way to use it to mm -hmm. your benefit rather than having it destroy you. Because that is when you're going to run into sickness. Anger causes cancer. There's absolutely no way to, do, to refute that anymore. That mm -hmm. is fact. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, it's, it, short term, you know, <laughs> PR short marathon. Term, let it be a boost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let it, let it be. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you need need to be able to let go of it. Well, Gwen, thank you a lot for spending the time. And take, how can people find you? What's, what's the best I'm on Facebook. Um, I'm not good on Facebook. I, I I honestly am just so 
my mind is in a thousand different places. And unfortunately, that's one of the last places I go. But I am on Facebook. Um, if anybody is interested in helping me with this research and doing some of these activities, um, reach out to me at L my LSU email. You can just find me at LSU's uh, website um, or Facebook, either way. Um, I, I've had a couple of people reach out to me that way and I've been really instrumental in, in my research. And I'm very, very thankful to them for that. Um, but I would be happy to, to work with anybody who would like to volunteer to try these and see if they work for you. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Again. Thank you, Eric. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ultramarathon Mindset Podcast. For more information about uh, today's guest, go to ultramindsetpodcast.run. That is ultramindsetpodcast.run. And you can find links there to their social media and more information about them and just about the podcast in general. Once again, thank you again for listening. See you next time.